It's becoming more and more obvious to the laity and to the priests that there is a deep double standard for both the laity, for parishes, for priests, especially in the Catholic Church in the United States. A example of this is the recent situation with Father Altman. And then we've seen this thing go on with this priest, the grinder priest, Monsignor Burl. And people are wondering, oh, also, let me add in there, the motu proprio recently restricting traditional Latin mass while all kinds of liturgical abuse go on all over the country. People promoted, people punished, persecuted. It's a double standard. And I'm here today with the stalwart Father James Altman. We're going to talk about those double standards and get an update on what's going on with Father Altman. How are you, Father Altman? I'm well. It's good to talk to you again. So you, you know, I still, I will never forget that dinner and dessert we had. It was good. Alex. We had Texas barbecue and Mexican fried ice cream. And Mexican fried ice cream, we yes. Just, we just did it all Texas. Yeah. Well, I want, I want to hear your perspective on this, Father, because you're on the receiving end of this double standard. And, you know, yes. maybe maybe five years ago, if we went back in time, a lot of lay people were like, yeah, I'm not so sure about my bishop. He's made some decisions that I don't necessarily agree with, but I support him and I'm going to support the diocesan fundraiser campaign. And, you know, I'm behind him. And I think five years later in 2021, after the McCarrick scandal, which, by the way, I just made a video 30 minutes ago. McCarrick is criminally charged, thanks be to God, in the state of Massachusetts. Um, maybe we'll, I, actually, I was going to ask Father Altman for some some legal perspective on that. Maybe we'll have time to do that. After sure. COVID, the shutdowns where people just, you just can't get sacraments because sacraments in the mass are no longer necessary. Um, but Planned Parenthood open is open. Liquor stores are open. You can go buy weed, marijuana, but you can't go to get, get sacraments at church. Uh, and then this motu proprio coming out, where if you're a traditional, you're basically a second-class citizen, and you're going to be monitored, and you're going to have to be loyalty tested, and they're going to hold this carrot of the traditional Latin mass out in front of us and make us jump hoops. Meanwhile, you can preach heresy. You can have clown masses and puppet masses and any kind of joke you want to run on the altar, and nothing happens. It's a double standard. Father, you've been a priest for a while. Tell us about it. Oh goodness! You just had uh, about six hours worth of discussion in your in your intro there. Yeah. Um, I hope you wrote them all down, and I'll, I could try to address them one by one. First of all, let's just talk about McCarrick. And the thing is, we know in 2004, according to World's own emails, that Rome was well aware. Yep. World was well aware. The American Church hierarchy was well aware about how bad he was and others, not just him. Let's not say he was a lone wolf and all this stuff because he was not. I mean, the, the horror stories are legion. And uh, and so uh, because a certain statute of limitations that had passed, it seems that uh, the great Pope Benedict XVI sidelined him and, and put him out to pasture where he could do no more harm. Well, then lo and behold, then all of a sudden he's rehabilitated by you know, the, the current Bishop of Rome, who then puts him back into a position of power, knowing, no, despite knowing the history here, because listen, they were all part of the St. Galen's Mafia, St. Galen's Mafia. That's what Daniels in Belgium called themselves. This is not, this is not, what do you call it, a conspiracy theory or some, they, they call themselves this. Yeah, and it's a conspiracy, some, but not a conspiracy theory because they themselves explained and confessed their conspiracy. So, not exactly. a theory. It's not a theory. Exactly. So, uh, so they all knew full well what was going on there, and uh, and that yet, and that he's rehabilitated and he's put back into power. And but for the courage of Archbishop Vigano, McCarrick could still be out there running around as one of the faces of the Catholic Church in the, in a seat of power. It's it's just staggering to me that he he'd be doing fundraisers with Joe Biden. I know. I, oh, I know. What does that tell you, right? So here's the thing. All of a sudden, then, Vigano exposes it. Now there's, within a year's time, I've, I've said this before, within a year's time, he's laicized. A cardinal of the Catholic, first time in history, as far as I know, first time in history, a cardinal of the Catholic Church is laicized. 
for the evil that he did, all within a year's time, which is extraordinary. I mean, they can't remove me as pastor of the church until it goes through at least about a year's worth of appeals to Rome. And that's just, to, I'm still a priest, I'm still a, a pastor. This whole time, I'm still the pastor here at St. James the Less. It takes a year, roughly, for it to go through all the steps. All of a sudden, within a year's time, they lay aside a cardinal of the Catholic Church, literally lay aside him. That's, that is so beyond the imagination. But why? Why did they do it so quickly? Why was Because it was all then swept nicely under the rug where there was no trial, no calling of witnesses, no figuring out who knew what and when, right? That's right. Because no information. people think, oh, they laicize him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was the get out of jail free card. Because as soon as you're laicized, you don't have to go through the canonical um, trials as a cleric, especially as a yeah. cardinal. Also, yeah. if you're a cardinal, you can only be tried by the Pope himself. So if he right. if he was not laicized and he started going through the process, it would have climaxed in a trial in with which Pope Francis giving the verdict over him. They did not yeah. want those it's optics. Funny. So they just said, poof, you're laicized. Yeah. yeah, right. That's, hey, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, so, to, so to this day, then, we don't know who knew what or when. We got hints and we got evidence, such as world's emails from, I think it was 2004, uh, and so many others. So now what's happened is now the state of Massachusetts, which has lifted the statute of limitations, uh, on such things as this, uh, has now charged him criminally. The problem is he lives in, is it Missouri? I think is where he, he is now. I heard Missouri. Part of it. No, it's, I guess it's in Missouri. Uh, here's a problem that most people don't understand that a state law saying that a, something is a crime doesn't necessarily have to match the state law in another state. So in order for him to be tried in the state of Massachusetts, they have to ask for extradition. They have to have the state of Missouri will extradite him to Massachusetts to face charges. It's a request which can be denied. And, and sometimes it is denied because the, the state where someone resides might not like the law under which he's charged in the state to which is seek, that is seeking extradition. And, and therefore, it could be that Missouri could say, no, we're not going to extradite this McCarrick. To Massachusetts. If they did, what they'd have to do is they'd have to go and arrest him. Right? It's kind of the process. They had arrested him. They would give, I think it's called comity, where you give uh, full faith and credit to some other state's laws. They, they would say they'd go and arrest him in Missouri, and then Massachusetts would have to swoop down in with their agents, pick him up, and take him back to Massachusetts to face charges. That's kind of, that's just an overview of the way that the extradition process works. Um, and people would, would recognize this very quickly. What's that guy named Julian Assange? Yep. He was like hiding out somewhere and they, they wanted to bring him back to America. But he was in these countries that didn't like America right. at all or, or the laws. And so they weren't. there's no way on earth they were going to extradite him. So uh, so the question is whether McCarrick will actually face the charges is whether or not Missouri will extradite him, which I have to believe if, if Massachusetts is charging him, that they would then seek to extradite him to Massachusetts to face the charges. But whether or not that ever happens... Whether or not he dies first, whether he dies a natural death first, who knows? Right. Yeah. Or a not so there you go. That's, natural that's the death. On well, I, you know, I, people, you know, he when, knows where a lot of bodies knows. are buried in the church. McCarry does. <laughs> yeah. He's 91 yes. years old for perspective. He's 91. Yeah. yeah. How old is Pope Benedict? Isn't he like 94 or something like that? No, no, no. So he's, it's not like, oh, he's, 80, he's too so old to. He's 84. Okay. Let me look him up. I thought he was getting older than that, but uh, I thought he was 84 when he retired, but I could, I could be wrong. Wait, are you talking about Benedict or are you talking about uh, Francis? Yeah, Benedict. No, I was oh, talking oh about Benedict. okay. Well, I mean, because Benedict's still sharp. Yeah, he Francis can, is 84. So, uh, yeah. And Benedict is. I think he's. thought he hit nine. I thought the first number yeah, was. He's 94. Nine, so he's got, okay, he's got yeah, 10 yeah, years okay, on Francis. Yes, he does. Well, he point is, is that McCarrick is not too old to be extradited and charged with a heinous crime. Right. So uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it all goes forward from this point. But the interesting thing is that they actually see what happens now if they do charge him. Here's here's why I don't I don't want to be speculative, but here's why I just doubt he's ever going to set foot in the state of Massachusetts okay. alive. OK, is because they it's not I'm not so much or the, the people that care are not so much the ones that are worried about McCarrick because he's pretty uh I mean remember when he came out 
after he said, oh, I'm not as bad as Vigano says I am. I'm not <laughs> such a bad guy. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, but the problem, when you have a criminal trial, you can subpoena witnesses, right? Yeah. You can compel their appearance in court. Now, again, the extradition rule comes into play uh, if you're trying to get somebody from someplace else. But the, but the fact of the matter is, is that they don't want a trial because that because the prosecutors can compel witnesses to appear and absent the Fifth Amendment where they can say, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to incriminate myself, which is which is incriminating by saying it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, look who they could get to testify. And, and maybe we would finally find out a little get at least cast a little bit of light on who knew what and when. So I sincerely doubt that the powers that be want the carrot to, to sit in the witness box or, or be in the courtroom as a defendant in the state of Massachusetts. I just don't see that as ever really happening. Yeah. For one I, reason. I, I, I kind of see McCarrick's morning coffee getting spiked with something poisonous before that happens. Because, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say that. But. Yeah, I, well, I'm just you know. just saying. You know, Jeff Epstein shows up dead in his cell. Oh, he committed suicide. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like as if anybody believes that. Right, right. Yeah, Ep- yeah, the Epstein thing. Do you think he and his lawyer set him up in Missouri that perhaps – they would be more liberal and not extradite him to Massachusetts. Do you think yeah. that's that's the kind of thing that lawyers and guilty people do? Well, I, I know that there's strategic planning on where one eventually resides. Right. Uh, so maybe that is the case because I don't know um, Missouri extradition tendencies, whether they're likely or less like more or less likely to extradite anybody for anything. Um, I just I was just trying to think of it. If I had heard of a case, it seems like there was a case where somebody would not be extradited from Missouri. They weren't going to let it happen. So maybe maybe there was some very strategic planning because he because he was in Kansas. He was There's for a long time. And then so, I had heard I that he sure. I heard he made a stint to Florida and was back in Kansas. Yeah. And then now he's in Missouri. So, yeah, yeah, there's probably some planning going on here. Yeah. Uh, going on and so. and really let's say missouri was inclined to extradite him like if if he suddenly realizes oh this is a possibility it's not like he couldn't then pick up pull up stakes is that what it's called yeah <laughs> and and move someplace else because he's as it stands he's still a free man so uh until such time as they cuff him uh yeah so yeah yeah i bet he wanted to somehow I, if he could have had it, he would have taken asylum in Rome. But I bet Pope Francis yeah. and the friends were like, no, we don't really want you here. Yeah, that would that would really. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Remember when when Bernard Law? I was about to say, that's Bernard what they were Cardinal Law. Laws. They gave him sanctuary. Yeah. And so that didn't go over well. No. With the American public. Bad, and the bad Catholics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. So well, let's talk so about this. Go. Let's talk about if you're willing to. Yeah. Uh, your situation, the bishop has restricted all of your ministries. You can't say mass in public. You can't, can't hear confessions. You can't even baptize anyone unless you're related to them. Yeah. You can't do marriages. You're not, right? You, no, I, I think you can. I think you I'm can? allowed to hear confession. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just can't go set up shop over in the church there. But if somebody comes up to me for confession, Got it. Um, I think I'm allowed to do that. And, and really, I didn't know how barbaric a bishop would have to be. Although... I certainly know a number of them who, who have done this that would uh, restrict the grace that somebody needs to go to a sacrament of confession so that they can be put back into a state of grace, right. which is the whole reason for us to even be. Right. Uh, so I don't think that was restricted, but uh, celebration of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, uh, marriages, baptisms, those those are restricted. Okay. And I don't think he's restricted anointing of the sick either, which is a sacrament of healing and confession. Sure. Uh, because those are those are necessary things. Right. Absolutely. Not. Well, they're all necessary. I mean, that's why Jesus created them, because they're necessary. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've been I've been somewhat restricted, which is ironic when you consider <laughs> how so many of the hierarchy themselves, uh, McCarrick himself, right. and rehabilitated and wandering around the world doing what he's doing, doing what he did. Um you know, uh, there's rural knowing in 2004, never can never coming forward. He's still a fully functioning. They they didn't take away their faculties. They did not listen. They did not take away the faculties of child molesters and they put them back in parishes. They get let's get this straight in our heads. They did not take away the faculties of child molesters for decades, yes. including bishops, because some of them did it, too. 
Yep. And, and some of them abused the seminarians. They didn't take away their faculties. To this day, they're still covering it up and, and continue. Like, so they didn't take away their faculties. But God forbid you speak the truth yep. and watch them. I predicted this. You know, that, that this is what they're going to do. They're going to, oh, they'll come after me, right. but let these others lo other losers go free. The true heretics, the, the, the true evil people that have done some horrible things, uh, they let them go free. So, you know, I, I guess I did not not expect it in that sense, but just, I'm very, still very disappointed. Right. I mean, yeah. Now, do, would you want to say something about this Monsignor Burrell? I think he's from your diocese. Yeah. This is the grinder priest. priest. So the pillar uh, broke this story. Um, they were able yeah. to basically coordinate his account by where he lived, where he was at church, the USCCB yeah. offices, and then... By yeah. isolating his profile in the Grinder app, which is a gay hookup app, they were able to show yeah. him going to bars, bathhouses, private residences, all these kind yeah. of things. And as soon as it was made public, he resigned. And I think he's, I don't, I haven't heard anything from him. Someone told me he actually said mass last weekend in Maryland. I don't know if that's true. But I think what happened, it, and I, I'm not, the, I'm not. I can't speak with 100% certainty and authority, but you know, it, we all have summer assignments when we're doing things, maybe. Right. And and so he had had an assignment somewhere in was it Maryland? I think it was Maryland. And and yeah, and DC then, area, but Maryland. I think I think it was Baltimore yeah, it, area. It was in the bulletin. Yes. And then it, very quickly there was pushback because then the story broke. Mm. And and I understand that just yesterday. Um, I don't know that they, they canceled it or they rescinded it or hard, <clears throat> whatever mechanism they used. The parish itself said that he's not coming here. Okay. So I, I, have no, I have no idea where he is now. He sure. could be back in our diocese for all I know. So he is. So the way things work in the church is a priest is incarnated into a diocese. That's like where he is registered. Right. And a priest, right. you know, Father Altman can't just be like, well, I'm going to go be a priest in Tyler, Texas. He would have to be ex-cardinated out of his old diocese and incarnated into the new <laughs> diocese. So it's not like right. free agents. There's actually this canonical moving right. mechanism, right? So yeah. you... Very mechanism. Yeah, yeah, you and Monsignor Burrow are both incarnated in the Diocese of La Crosse. Is that correct? Correct. That's correct. Okay, so y'all are... So, like, just like go to the military and be a military chaplain if the bishop releases us to be a military chaplain for a period of time subject to his recall back to the diocese at his whim yes uh similarly uh, monsignor was on loan to um the usccb central offices just like just like some of us are on loan to like seminaries right. uh, one of my classmates is is on loan to i think saint francis seminary now in in milwaukee so i mean they can put you out on loan but they can call you back at any time. Right. So I, my understanding is that uh, Monsignor was on loan then to the USCCB to serve them that, in, in that capacity as secretary. Right. So Monsignor Burrow was secretary general of the USCCB. He was yeah. caught using the gay hookup app. He resigned. Yeah. Now, people are saying, how come this guy, Monsignor Burrow, how come he isn't in trouble. There's no restrictions. He can baptize. He can say mass in public. But yeah. Father Altman in the same diocese under the same bishop has draconian yeah. measures placed upon him. That's a double standard. Yeah. Have you talked to Bishop yeah. Callahan about this? I mean, what are, there's got to be outrage well, in lacrosse that what are the chances right. that you're going to you're going to come after Altman and then a month later uh we got a a gay grinder app priest in the same diocese. Right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I haven't talking, talked to Bishop directly since it's been a while. It's been a long time. Um, and of course, he didn't talk to me directly when he had FedEx the letter, the decree. <laughs> he didn't come hand it to me. Um, so uh, I, I certainly can't uh, say to, I can't say I said to him, well, hey, what's up with this? Right. Um the uh, things happen quickly and this kind of all of a sudden news broke and and I know it uh, not trying to give him a free pass on this but I know he had some sort of a 
hospital issue, medical issue to deal with of late because we were asked to pray for him. Mm. And so he had about a week out of action that was in the midst of this latest furor, which is, I think, now less than two weeks old. Yes. Um, yeah. So what will come of this? Uh, I don't know. But the problem that they face is, well, you saw James Martin and the National Catholic Reporter. I, I heard it called the National Catholic Distorter, yep. not Reporter. Yep. <laughs> uh, they immediately leap to the defense. Well, okay. Um, well, there's a double standard right there, right? Right. Because they, they rip on me. Yeah. <laughs> they rip on me. And and yet they're coming to his defense. Yep. So double I, standard. Double standard exists just in the episcopacy. Uh but in, but in this particular issue, and, and of course, but, but here's something that should just stagger each and every one of us, it seems to me, that, okay, yeah, this is what he was doing. Um, and, and I think Martin's point was, well, hey, it's consenting adults, uh, just sin. Um, but the, uh, on, on the level of criminality from best or to the worst, from well-behaved to most not-behaved, most misbehaved, it strikes me that a number of the episcopacy are way beyond Monsignor's bad behavior. I mean, you had the Archbishop of Miami a decade or two ago that was getting all drunk up and going up to the seminary and picking up yep. seminarians yeah. to take home to his beach house. Get, get, and did his faculties get removed? Did he get laicized? Heck no. And, and you know full well how many were involved in this kind of activity. And so I, I suppose when it comes to Monsignor, they're handling this one with kid gloves because. Yeah, it's a uh, slap on the wrist. If they, yeah, if they say he's it's, a really bad, bad guy, then what does that say about them who have done much worse? Right. Or, or have covered up for those who much. I tell you what. So, I mean, maybe nobody agrees with me on this. But silence is complicity. And there is so much silence in the Episcopacy that there is complicity. And so you can't just say, well, that's that diocese. It doesn't matter what that guy does. No, because in this, especially in our information age where what happens here is well known everywhere. I mean, I was I was out at a, a, a beautiful meeting out in Maryland, Maryland, I think it was. And and. In about seven minutes after the story broke, somebody said to me, hey, look at this. Isn't he from your diocese? So, I mean, everything is known everywhere almost instantaneously. Right. And, and so you can't hide behind your geographical boundaries and say, well, nobody, nobody in my diocese doesn't, isn't aware of what's going on in this bad behavior over here. No, you have a duty to reflect on that so that the, at least the people in your diocese know, no, this is bad behavior. And so don't do it. Um, but yet there is this almost an impenetrable line. I hope it becomes the Maginot line in the Episcopacy of blocking the pursuit of truth and justice in these things. And maybe this is I, I saw one headline that says maybe this is just the tip of the iceberg because you see they now they've they've, they've they've gone after Rome. Right. Well, and I don't know, Diocese like of Newark and the Vatican. Yes, yes. And and so it is the tip of the iceberg. And where this is all going to end up, there's going to be, uh, I can just see Jesus cracking that whip. It's, it's going to be a real house cleaning. And the, I understand we're all sinners, myself included. Um, but I don't redefine sin as not sin, which is what so many of these people have done in this modernist, Everybody goes to heaven. There is no such thing. If there's no sin, there's no need for a savior. Right. See that, so you don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. So when, when these shepherds of the church, these mitres, don't define sin as sin, that tells everybody in their diocese and around the world, right. well, um, I guess I don't have to worry about myself. I guess I just got to go to heaven, too. It's this right. universalist, Unitarianism thing that they, they her, it's the ultimate of the heresies. Right. There's no, and ultimately you deny faith in Jesus because Jesus made it pretty clear. Yes, there's sin. There's the narrow road and there's the broad road that everybody, that these sinners are going to choose to go down. Um, many versus few, so or few versus many. Um, 
but yeah, that, I think that answered sort of answered your question yeah, about I mean, the double standard that seems to exist. But I can't see them enforcing anything other than the double standard because it's going to reflect poorly on them. If for no other reason, there's there's their silence, which is complicity, but also their knowledge and involvement in so many things. I mean, how who knew about McCarrick and and when? And we know it dates back to 2004 at least. Hmm. Yeah. It, all roads all roads lead to Rome, by the way, because of Saint Galen's Mafia, right? Of which the Bishop of Rome was a part when he wasn't bishop. Of which Daniels, who covered up sexual abuse, tried to cover it up in Belgium. Uh, I think it was named Nichols, Cardinal Nichols in 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 London. Yep. Uh, McCarrick. These these people were all buddy buddies. Yes, they so, were. Uh, yeah. They yes, were. Yes, they were. And I also show that there is a Aleister Crowley satanic occult network historically yeah. in St. Gallen, Switzerland. Okay. It's for real. Yeah. It's for real. It's documented. And you can learn about that. I write about that in the book Infiltration. Now, I want to go back to yeah. this double standard because yes. you're saying, yes. well, the bishop's not going to do anything because if he were to discipline a priest using gay grinder apps, then it's going to unravel and everyone else is going to get busted. I don't think they have that luxury, Father. I think it's going to happen anyway. And the laity right now are watching the story. They're watching you right now in this podcast. They're saying, wait a second. Father Altman, here's what he did wrong. He streamed masses and preached every day. He told people, if you're a Catholic, you have to vote pro-life. Mm -hmm. And he also said it's wrong that the bishops close down the churches and close down the sacraments. All of those things that Father Altman are capital D divisive. So, yeah. ergo, he must be suspended. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing all the stuff labeled capital D divisive as really good and really cool. And I like Father Altman. So I don't understand how all of that yields can't celebrate public sacraments. Then I see for the past two years, Monsignor Burl is going to bathhouses and gay bars and using a gay app and grifting on the USCCB and using our tithe pew money to visit all this stuff. And he just gets an effeminate slap on the wrist yeah. We lay people yeah. are not dumb. We may be the sheep. We are not idiots, bishops. Yeah. We we see this with 2020 vision. You guys are jokers. If you really think that this inconsistency and this double standard is not going to be overlooked. And by the way, the apps will continue to be monitored and more and more to be busted. I think Father Altman, they went after Monsignor Burl because that was a shot over the bow. Mm -hmm. That's just letting you know yeah. we didn't we didn't reveal any bishops yet. We just went for the highest priest in the USCCB, Burl. We just busted him went all over the the um, what's this thing called grinder app. And mm -hmm. now I think the bishops are deleting apps, throwing their phones in dumpsters, freaking out and and all like you said, all roads lead to Rome. They already got grinder Is data it? in Vatican. I mean, it is going to get nasty. Yeah. Oh, it, it, you know what? You know what's the, the worst part about all this is that what little amount of people still clung tightly to the faith are going to have their faith shaken again. Mm. It, I, you know, I thought the worst thing that the bishops could have done, and nothing could top this, was when they denied the sacraments. So can I just talk about this for a second? This denial of the sacraments, which you know, that's what got them mad at me in the first place, because I said, "How dare you!" Uh, you know, that, here's a big complaint I hear about by ignorant people who don't know a thing about the facts of the case. They're just ignorant. They're ignorant of canon law. They're ignorant of regular law. And it's all about this misuse of the word obedience. Well, he's being disobedient to his bishop. Really? Now, what does that even mean? Mm. Right. But uh, in the in the you know, in the military, if you disobey a direct order, you get court martialed. Far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, I have not disobeyed a direct order. The disobedience was he made a request to resign. That's not disobedient to say no, any more than it was disobedient if I would have said, no, I'm not moving to St. James on the cross. I'm perfectly happy up at Peter and Paul in Wisconsin Rapids, which I was perfectly happy. 
so so I could say yes or I could say no. So these ignorant people running around saying I'm disobedient because I said no to the bishop's request don't know the first thing about anything. But boy, they sure it's like I call it the rule of a lot. A lot of people have a lot to say about a lot of things they know nothing about. Right. So um, so I wasn't being disobedient. But let's talk about obedience. Right. OK. Ultimately, as St. Peter and St. John, the beloved apostle, said to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of their day, we must obey God rather than men. Right. That's right. And and, oh, by, and by the way, people think I'm uh, being disrespectful if I call a bishop by his first name. Listen, they call themselves by their first name. There was a time in the early in the late 90s and, and early 2000s when priests would insist you call me Bob or Joe or whatever, not not father so and so. And in fact, it just drives me crazy when so many people well, say, well, in father, the, in the in the holy sacrifice, of the mass in the Teijitur, you say the bishop's right. first name, not his last name. Right. And in the Eastern Our Church, they actually say Bishop Peter, and they actually put his last name in parentheses because you're not supposed to use it. Yeah, there you go. So, so. so it's not uncommon. But if I use their first name, and I don't want to get too far off track here, remember where I was uh, on obedience, um, it's not disrespecting the officer bishop. It's, dis it's showing that this person is acting in the law we call ultra virus outside of the real uh, law of the position. So if you're, uh, well, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of a, a crazy example. If you're a school bus driver and you then uh, outside of school hours, go get drunk and drive the bus and hit somebody. Well, the school board isn't responsible for that because you acted outside of your legal scope of authority. Right. So um, when when uh, when bishops act outside of God's command, as St. Maximilian Colby said, when they um, the minute they stray even slightly into error is when you don't have to obey them because they're not following the will of God. Yes. Right. So what is the will of God? The will of God for obedience is what did Jesus tell his apostles? You feed my sheep. You know, I was just out at the Knapp Institute and Bishop Aquila, 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 Denver, from Denver. Aquila, he gave the homily at the Mass of Anticipation on Saturday night. And it was all about John chapter six and how we all have to pay attention to John chapter six for the next five weeks. Because, you know, without the Holy Eucharist, what do we have? The Holy Eucharist is the centrality of the Holy Eucharist, the necessity of the Holy Eucharist and how we all have to pay attention to this truth. Right. OK, so. I think he probably actually believes that. But then why hasn't he said something about every bishop that locked the churches and denied people the one thing they need, sacramental grace, whether it be baptism, confession to get back in the state of grace, the Holy Eucharist to be nursed and strengthened, to remain in the state of grace. If that is so central, see, because what they did was they just said it's not essential. I said that way, way back at yep. the beginning in May of 2019. They just put blinking pink neon signs on the church, not essential, even as, <laughs> you know, Planned Parenthood or Walmart yeah. or all these other places stayed open. Right. They denied us the sacraments. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said that unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. And yet these bishops disobeyed Jesus Christ himself. And blatantly for long periods of time. So if you want to talk disobedience, bishops, let's just talk, come to the table. I'm really happy to have this discussion with you about what constitutes obedience and what doesn't. Yes. Boy, just get me go. Don't you? Oh, my face is probably getting red right now. It's actually burnt out in California. Yeah. Um, obedience. Really? Let's talk obedience. Yeah, I'd love to talk obedience with any one of you who dared to lock the church and dared to deny a single person the holy sacrifice of the mass and the holy Eucharist. How dare you? You are the disobedient ones, not me. There. Yeah. So being being as you somehow got back. <laughs> what part of that isn't true? God said, Jesus said, feed my sheep and feed them with the body and blood because without it, which they don't have life within them. They disobeyed Jesus. Yeah. They have one job to do. Prepare our eternal souls for that day when we're called out of this world. And they failed. They failed miserably. They disobeyed Jesus. Don't talk to me about obedience, Bishop. Yeah. So, and yeah. that's it's what what drives me mad as a layman is what's more important, it seems, for many of these bishops is obeying 
their opinions on immigration, politics, rubrics, Latin mass, their opinions. And if you don't, you that will take away your Latin mass, will suspend Father Altman. but, but, But then we're not going to give the Holy Eucharist to people who need it. We're not going to give them extreme unction because of the pandemic. But then you got Monsignor Burl, who's committing apparently sodomy. Sodomy is one of the sins that cries to heaven, not being divisive, right? And it's like obedience to God in the Ten Commandments and the express teaching of Jesus Christ, the actual words of Jesus in the gospel at Mass. We stand up during Mass when the gospel is read because it's Jesus Christ talking to us. His actual words, the bishops disobey that. But then we're told, well, you can't have a traditional Latin mass because it might you might get a schismatic attitude, you might be divisive, whatever. So we're just going to take that cookie away from you. I'm sorry. And it is just ridiculous of what they insist on obedience. And then the obvious, the Ten Commandments and the words of Jesus are optional for them. For them. How is this for Christianity? That. Right, right. You know, the, so about, about the extraordinary form, the Latin form, the traditional yeah. Latin Mass, Vatican II never abrogated it, nor could nope. Vatican II abrogate it, because since Trent and before, we have known that is the sacred worship uh, commanded by Almighty God. Yep. So what Benedict did in his Samorum Pontif- what is it? It's called, I can, I can never get it right. I, my, what is it called, that thing Benedict, the motu proprio that Benedict the Sixteenth gave, where Samorum Pontificum. Samorum Pontificum. See, Samorum if I Pontificum. just start with the S word, yes. with a P, but I get them mixed up. Uh, what Benedict did there is he didn't just grant something that then the next guy could take away, and then the next guy after him could give us back, and right. the next guy could take it away. Yeah, it's like a tug of war. It's a Latin mass tug of war. You, you, you ever play tug of yeah. war? And there's there's a I long like rope, like and, like and you tie a little scarf in the middle. And it's like yeah, the scarf. Right. Yeah. The scarf is the Latin mass. And Benedict the Sixteenth yeah. pulls it over here, and then Francis. That what is this? Yeah. What so, kind of nonsense so is this? Did, right. What Benedict did is only clarify that bishops had to allow the Latin Mass because it never was abrogated by Vatican II, and those bishops who denied us the right to the Latin Mass actually were in error. I yes. would say grave error. Yes. So. So that's Benedict didn't give us something that we didn't already have. He just clarified that we are entitled to it, and it always has been the case. Yes. So now what the current bishop of Rome has done is he's taken it upon himself, almost in an infallible manner, and tried to restrict uh, something to which we, the faithful, are entitled by our baptism to celebrate in the extraordinary form, in the traditional Latin mass. He has no right to do that, by the way. Just so you know, Bishop of Rome, you don't have a right to do that. You pulled a fast one, Bishop of Rome. You did something you weren't entitled to do. You did something you're not allowed to do. You're not a little autocratic tyrant over there. Get with the program, Bishop of Rome. You don't have a right to do that. And every single Catholic, no matter whether you like it or not, ought to stand up and say, no, the Catholic Church's truth is unchanged and unchangeable. Trent, which is irrevocable and is dogmatic, describes specifically the type of mass we can have, and it was perfectly good for us. We're not the divisive ones. No, yeah. oh, no, no, no. The divisive ones are those who try to destroy, and the proof is in the pudding, right? Since Vatican II, since these bishops destroyed the Latin mass and, and created this, the Novus Ordo, which, the proof is in the pudding. Yep. 80% of Catholics now don't go to Mass. About 80% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Nope. As I've said time and again, and I will go to my grave saying it, at what percentage are the bishops finally going to wake up and say, your little experiment in bizarre liturgy after Vatican II has failed miserably, and the proof is in the pudding? Try and argue with me on that one. Any bishop in the world, argue with me on it. I bring it on. Yep. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. 80% of Catholics don't even go to church anymore, and it's your fault. Because yeah. you are the ones that destroyed the sacred liturgy from being sacred, and you made it in this free fall, like you said, puppet masses. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember a very high-ranking sick 
had these big puppet things going. I remember a high-ranking cassock. I see this tango going on in front of the altar. I remember a high-ranking cassock that puts a beach ball on the altar of sacrifice. Wow. Staggering. I remember a high-ranking uh, prelate who uh, brings the Pachamama into, mm -hmm. along with others, into St. Peter's and puts it before the mother church of, of all Christendom before the altar, the abomination into the temple. Really? Do we really want to, do you want to know what divisive is with a capital D? It's that. Yep. I'm not divisive. They are. God, God, I just talk about it. You know, Father, what we say yeah. down here in Texas, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll preach. I want to read a quote. It, go, it, it goes into what you're saying about the Latin Mass and about the Bishop of Rome and limits and the obedience of limits. This is Pope Innocent III. Pope Innocent III says, quote, It is necessary to obey a pope in all things as long as he does not go against the universal customs of the church. But should he go against the universal customs of the church, he need not be followed, end quote. Let me read it again, because everybody needs to hear this. I'm not into tattoos. This would be something I might get tattooed. It's so important. Quote, it is necessary to obey a pope in all things as long as he does not go against the universal customs of the church. But should he go against the universal customs of the church, he need not be followed. End quote. That's it. Close right. the book. You're trying to tell me in Rome that the mass from the year 300 AD, probably before then, up until 1970, during the hippie revolution, that all those masses, Pope Damasus, St. Ambrose, St. Leo, St. Gregory the Great, St. Benedict, founder of the Benedictines, um, the Cistercian, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, po uh, Pope Pius V, uh, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, all these people, this giant custom, 1970, that it was abrogated. And then once we learned it wasn't abrogated in 2021, it's now restricted. Come on. Yeah. Come yeah. on. How is that even well, true? Listen. Okay. Do we think, are we so deluded that we think they still care about our eternal souls? Get, if, if a bishop cared about your eternal soul, there is no way on God's green earth that he's going to deny you access to the sacrifice of the mass, that he's going to deny you access to, to confession, that he's going to deny you access to the Holy Eucharist if they really cared about your eternal soul. So what does that tell us? What kind of, I put it this way. It's so simple for anybody to understand what kind of father would not feed his children. What kind of father wouldn't, wouldn't give you the holy sacrifice of the mass, wouldn't give you the Holy Eucharist to feed you in the hunger that your soul has? They have one job to do. Eternal souls has nothing to do with whether I catch a cough from this fear demic they created that they just swallowed hook, line and sinker. Um, no, no, they have one job to do. You better make sure that I'm in a state of grace. And if you can't do that, you're the divisive one because you've now divided the sheep and the goats and not in a good way. Yeah. Father, do you sense that we are on the precipice of something happening universally? Yeah. Do you, do you sense that? Yeah. Um, or do you think this is, or do you think just Pope Francis in a few years will die and we'll have another Pope and it'll just kind of continue? Or it, it seems that even after the motu proprio, Traditionis Custodis, there's, yeah. I've even seen people who have never even gone to Latin Mass or go to the Novus Ordo that are like, whoa, this is wrong. Why would you, why would you go and just restrict the traditional? Right. He doesn't have a right to do it. Let me yeah. I mean, people are waking up to this. I mean, is the uh, grinder thing, is the is the traditional Latin mass thing, is the canceled priest things? Um, I mean, how much more does this snowball? It seems like every year since 2018, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Right, right. Well, because it is. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jesus, if, if we if we believe what he said is what he said, then then we better realize the implications and one of the one of the things he said was well when the son of man comes again will he find any faith at all right. on earth well we've already destroyed 80 percent of it haven't we yeah you know vatican yeah. II never never authorized in any way shape or form the crazy liturgies that destroyed the faith of peoples it never did these 
these people hijacked post-Vatican II. They hijacked the documents and, and promulgated and perpetuated this spirit of Vatican II nonsense, which is utter, the only spirit, it was more demonic uh, that came out of that. Uh, the, um, they've destroyed the faith of 80% of the people. So they're only working on the final 20%. Now, amazingly enough, <laughs> of that 20%, so many are drawn to the glory of the holy sacrifice. You know, when, when Almighty God commanded in Exodus 25 through 31, exactly how he wanted us to, to worship him. We who are the created, the creator says, this is how you worship me. And you use your five sentences, senses to do it. So in all the sights and sounds and smells that, that you, in the body movements that you participate in when, when you're when you're worshiping him, uh, which you see in the book of Revelation, when the elders cast their golden crowns upon the glassy sea and they bow down and incense is everywhere. That's how you worship. Yep. It was Old Testament to New Testament. That's how you worship. And if the holy sacrifice of the mass has been, if that has been taken from it, which is what happened after Vatican II, right. it has destroyed the faith. Because through our worship, we, it was that, uh, as we worship, as we, as we, Behave so we believe that let's it's like uh, Lex 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 as we pray, so we yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and so as we don't pray is as we don't believe, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what has happened post Vatican II. And not one of these bishops, I don't know a single one, maybe Athanasius Snyder, maybe Archbishop Vigano, certainly Cardinal Burke. Um, so I shouldn't say not one, but very few bishops will admit and confess that the, the disaster that has transpired with the destruction of the sacred liturgy after Vatican II, which was intentional, by the way, because they said, well, we like what Bignini said, we got to remove anything that would serve as uh, even a shadow of a stumbling block to a Protestant. In other words, right. no, no longer, we got to quit being Catholic. Yeah. Take out okay. transubstantiation, kind of take out Mary, take out the saints, take yeah. out confession of sins, Yeah. yeah. Uh, reduce yeah. the confidior. Anything in the offertory that sounds sacrificial or oblation, they cut that out. Yes. They, what they right, did is they, right. they took the sacral out of the mass and made it yep. more as a meal. And that's why the priest has to stand on the other side of the table and sort of yeah. look at everyone. Kind of like at Thanksgiving, I sit at the end of my table. We have a big, long, beautiful dining yeah. table. I'm at the end. The turkey's in front of me. I address everybody. Welcome. Say a prayer. It's a... But I'm not offering a turkey sacrifice to the Holy Trinity, right? right. It's a different, it's a, it is a meal because we receive the body of Christ, but it's also yeah. chiefly the sacrifice. Yeah. It is, it right. is the offering of the second person of the Trinity as humanity to Almighty God. I mean, yeah. we're, we're required to attend Mass on Sunday, we're not always required to yeah. receive communion. The obligation right. is to be present for the sacrifice. And right. I think post-Vatican yes. II people are misformed. They think when you ask them, what is the mass? They would say, well, it's eating the body of Jesus, John 6. Whereas I think yeah. before Vatican II, the primary emphasis was it is Jesus on the cross. Yeah. It is the, the act holy of sacrifice the holy of the mass. Sacrifice, which liberals yeah. never say. They no, say Eucharistic they liturgy. Yeah. And the, the, the tradition, it is the holy sacrifice, the holy sacrifice right. for the mass. Mm -hmm. And even in the old days, I, I was reading, I was reading something from the 500s and they just kept on referring to the oblation, attending the oblation in Latin. Right. And I was like, yeah. they're talking about the sacrifice of the mass. Yeah. Right. Right. And because that is what it is. You know what? For some reason, as I was praying the holy sacrifice recently, um, the words of the, the consecratory prayer, and it just took on a, get on, get sometimes your eyes, the scales just fall off your eyes. And I realized that, um, that uh, like the consecration, the Eucharistic consecration prayer is a prayer to our father uh, with regard to his sacrifice of his son for our sake. So I, up until then, up until this moment, I always thought, oh, yeah, Jesus is sacrificing himself. He's allowing himself to be sacrificed. But we need to understand that our father let his son. He arranged for his son to be sacrificed as an expiation for all our sins, yeah. that our father's deeply involved in this. And that is why we pray to our father, not like looking around like the like the turkey dinner. Um, we pray to our father who sacrificed his son for us. That is such a profound and that happens at every mass. We are, uh, it's, it is, it's beyond our human comprehension. The, the, the glory 
That's why the, all the angels are gathered around right. at the masses, because that's what's going on. It's the representation of that, of Calvary. Yep. And, and not with puppets, not with beach balls. Can you imagine uh, going, never, the book of Revelation going into heaven? There's the 24 presbyters, the elders. It's all in Revelation 4, yeah. 5, and 6 in there. It's beautiful. Read it. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. going to heaven and then they've got uh, beach balls and they've got toys and they've got puppets and all this? Can you imagine yeah. in the holiness of God, in the sanctuary of God, the presence of God, where everyone is just bowing and chanting, holy, 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 over and over yes. and over, right? That there'd be this cutesy stuff or, you know, a girl in a miniskirt handing out communion. I, all this just craziness that we've been subjected yeah. to since the 1960s. Yeah. And people why, why are going to the TLM and they're like, whoa, I didn't know this existed. I didn't even yeah. know this was Catholicism. A whole generation yeah. is, has grown up not ever having seen the traditional Roman rite. And you know what else? Vatican II specifically said in, in SC, Sacrosanctum Concilium, that the mass parts are supposed to be prayed together in Latin yep. around the globe. Universal language is sacred language of the church. So, I mean, that's how many prayers. So you got the glory, you got the, the credo, you got yep. the science, you got the Agnus Dei in the Kyrie. Yep. But you're supposed to pray those in that prayer. You're not supposed right. to say it in English. You're, let me repeat that so people get it through their heads because they oh I don't like it. it's Latin. Listen, Vatican II, which it specifically said if you if you were, if read the document instead of just going on with your own interpretation of what the Spirit is, Vatican II said you must do this in Latin. They they, they stole it from us. Yeah. They lied to us and they stole it from us. And yet, why is it that you can't get many shepherds of the church, many miters, to stand up and say we're going to do it the way right. we've always supposed to have been doing it? Uh, why haven't they done that? Wow, because they don't care for us. They don't care if they would if they cared for us, they would do something about the 80 percent of Catholics that no longer come to mass. How about we make mass worship of God, the creator, and then say then people would come. It's not divisive yeah. to make it glorious. It's not. Yeah. 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 Well, I think lay people have figured out it is not my job, Taylor Marshall, as a layman to take Sacrosanctum Concilium with my yellow highlighter and to go through it and figure it all out and report back to my priest and bishop on what to do. That's ridiculous. Why would Taylor Marshall ever do that? I have to get a document from a council and parse it out? No, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. The layman in 2021 has just said, you know what, this whole thing is ambiguous. It's difficult. I'm not gonna get my yellow highlighter out. I'm just going to go to what? What did we? What did my grandparents do? My great grandparents do? My great great grandparents do? Okay, uh, kids, get in the van. We're going to that, and that's yeah. it. People go to the traditional Latin mass. Sometimes I talk to priests and they get into like a, kind of into like the liturgy weeds and all that. And I'm like, great father, whatever. But if you got a dad and he's got eight kids, you got a mom, she's got six. You're trying to get everybody to match. Can't even find all the shoes for everybody on Sunday morning. I've start, yeah. Finally, on Saturday night, I learned yeah. you got to line up everybody's shoes the That's night before really or you're going to be good. late to Mass. Yep. You can't even get all the shoes. I can't even get all the shoes and the people to get to, to Mass on Sunday. So I'm not going to spend time parsing Sacrosanctum Concilium and what a bunch of liturgists thought would be a cool update to things. Let's just do it the way that we did it. I mean, the yeah, prayers at the foot of the I altar mean. are beautiful. The Kyrie and Gloria in Latin are gorgeous on all the Gregorian oh, settings. Yeah. The Roman offertory yeah. and just seeing the the serenity and the, the, the glory around the priest as he prepares the bread and wine as oblations to the Holy Trinity. Yeah. The yeah. ringing of the bells at the Sanctus and the altar boys going, you know, falling down before the altar and holding the torches and the incense. All this yeah. stuff is glorious. Let's just do the traditional Latin mass. It should not be this complicated. No, no, it, it shouldn't be. But see, they're afraid of it. Because here's, here's, here's what the thing is. So if you go by a Catholic church on a Sunday, not Saturday, because traditional Latin people don't go to church on Saturday because it doesn't count. If you go by, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. But, you know, this massive anticipation. Oh, baloney. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah, what, yeah. you know, you had a vigil mass in the, you know, according to the way the Jews used it, the way the Catholic Church did it. You vigil mate, from about 4 p.m. in the afternoon, you did, you fasted 
until the next morning at five, six or seven, they had a really early mass because people yep. couldn't fast any longer. That it didn't mean you went to mass and it counted on Saturday. It meant that you fasted. You, your vigil was through the night. That's yep. what a vigil mass is. Not this Saturday afternoon, massive anticipation. Right. But if you go to a Catholic church on a Sunday and as you drive by, you see a half a dozen or more big vans there on 99 times out of 100 Latin mass is going on inside. Absolutely. Why? Because families with children, that's what vans are for, are inside. Yeah. And they want the truth and the beauty and the glory of the holy sacrifice of the mass for their children. Because they understand their children are they're stewards of their children. And they, they're going to answer to God. They'll be held accountable to God for not bringing up their children correctly. That's right. So so just you, 99 times out of 100, you go by a church on a, Saturday, a Sunday morning and you see a bunch of vans out there. You know what's going on inside. I, I glory, guess- all the I'm one of those dads with the van. And I let me just say something live on YouTube. Being a dad of eight kids is very difficult. There's joy. It's lovely. I would do it again. But it is very difficult. So I don't want to spend all this time, all this money, all this effort, all these sleepless nights along with my wife, right? And to go through all this effort for eight little people and eight souls so that when they turn 18, they become pagans and go to hell. It's, it, I'm just, it's like the worst deal you can make, right? We want our kids to grow yeah. up. We want to put in the effort. Same thing when we look at the church and we look at the priest. Being a traditional priest, the way the church set up being a priest, is very difficult. The old breviary with Matins, Lods, Prime, all the way up through Vespers and Compline, hearing confessions... Yeah. Every day, going to all the hospital visits, not sending a deacon or a layman, but going and administering the sacraments in the hospitals, hearing the confessions, doing the adoration, doing the benediction, doing the processions, overseeing the music. All that is very hard. So as a layman of eight kids, I want to support and be around the priest who's also going into hard mode, difficult mode. Because heaven is forever. Here on earth is right. short. Why would why would people that drive vans and have all these children want to just go and give the sloppiest liturgy that maybe has heretical sermons in it? Right. Yeah, right. What? Yeah. That's like saying we're all going on a vacation, we're going to spend a lot of money and time on it, and we're going to go to the crappiest place possible. What? No one does yeah. that. No one does that. No. So when you when you were um, talking about raising the children so that when they turn eighteen they don't just run off and be pagans, right? I I can't even begin to count the number of parents who said to me, "Well, I sent my kids to Catholic school. Well, did you pray at home? Mm. Did you attend the holy sacrifice of the mass like it meant what it said, or did you grow up? Did you have them grow up in this zoo?" environment mm. that is that the mass became right. with everybody miss uh, with everybody abusing what Vatican II actually said. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I like to think that when I celebrate the Novus Ordo uh, and what I've heard from 100 percent of people over the years, over the 13 years from 100 percent of the people is I do it with great reverence. So that's something that they so rarely see. And uh, so. Uh, hopefully that then imparts to the people a sense of faith. Like I believe it when I do it. Uh, otherwise I'd just be, look at this. It just came to me that, well, if you, if you actually believe what you're doing, how can you not be reverent? That's why I've never been able to figure out how could you not be reverent? That's the, whole that's kind of the problem with the Novus Ordo is reverence is optional. Yeah. That's what's crazy and about it is, is when you, when you go around, I've been all over the country all in, and more times than less, reverence is lacking. So it's almost like they baked the cake. You can put the reverent icing on it, but usually it doesn't come with it. You have to have a Father Altman who knows where to get some reverence and put it on as icing on the cake. But for the most part, it's almost like they baked the cake so that it's not the normative flavor of the cake, reverence. Yeah. Yeah. Which is you know, crazy. So I, I may have mentioned this one time before. You maybe have heard me say it, but I can tell you the very first time I celebrated Mass Adriantum, 
was a Rorati Mass during Advent mm. uh, when the director of religious, the, the DRE of the parish said, Father, will you just celebrate this Rorati Mass Arientum? And I thought, okay, I'll just keep you happy. Okay, I, I can do this, right? And, the, and so the first time I did it, uh, it was all by candlelight. It was all dark. Sure. Uh, it came time for me to elevate the chalice. Did, have, you, have I told you this story Mm-mm. before? No. Have you heard this? No, I haven't heard it. So, so, so you elevate the, the host, of course. And I came time to elevate the chalice after I had prayed the prayer of consecration. You elevate the chalice, right? And as I held it up, my, my line of sight from my eyes to the top of the chalice was directly under the wound in Christ's side on the mm. big crucifix in the back. And it was like his blood was dripping into the chalice. Mm-hmm. And in that space of three seconds... I knew I could never not do this again yep. because it was a prayer to our father for the sacrifice of his son, yes. not to be out there looking, Hey, look what I got in yep. my hands. Let's all come have a drink. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. It, it, and that was like 2011 mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I was only about three years into it, maybe as, as a priest at this point since then. I, yeah. So precious few times I've had to celebrate. Yeah. Uh, versus Popolum. But, you see, that's the reverence that comes when all of a sudden you hold up the chalice and you see Jesus' blood dripping into it. Yeah. How could I not? How could I not be reverent? But you see, if you if you turn around the other way and you're facing all the people and it's all oh, look here what I got in my hands, yeah. that's not reverent. That's not showing them reverence for what you're doing. Reverence is when you know you're not worthy to hold that chalice. Yeah. That's where the reverence comes from. I know I'm not worthy. Yeah. Uh, but but. But, but people people get it when they see the reverence you have when when you when you know yeah so if, but but you can't get people to you can't get bishops or priests to comprehend that I wouldn't have understood it myself until it actually happened and I was willing to these people wanted it this way and so I was willing to go out of my comfort zone I was perfectly capable of celebrating the holy sacrifice of the mass I thought. It was reverent as it was, and I would like to think it was, but uh, because I was willing to serve them in their their need for this reverence, uh, I came to discover what I was not taught, the things they didn't teach you, the stuff, as Michael Morris calls it, that they stole from you. They stole your inheritance, which is exactly what they did. They stole it, and we know that's, a, that's a, there's a commandment against that. Yeah. Uh, but when I held up that chalice for the first time, and his blood was like dripping into it, I thought I I can do this no other way. Uh, one of the profound moments of my life was that three seconds when I went like this, and all of a sudden I saw, oh, here it is. I was drinking. I was going to drink that precious blood. Yes. Wow, profound moment. I there are no words that can describe it. That reminds me. Of, I I learned this about the Pietà of Michelangelo. You know the famous statue, the white yeah. statue. So yeah. I didn't know this. But if you look at it very closely, our, our Lady is much bigger than Christ, proportionally. It's actually out of right. proportion. Michelangelo did that on purpose. And someone explained to me that the Pietà was designed to be an altarpiece above an altar. So Michelangelo designed the dimensions to be from the eyesight of a priest saying Mass below it. And the idea is, if you look at the way Christ is in her dimensions... If you're the priest, when you elevate the host, if that was the altarpiece, it's not just in a museum, it's supposed to be on an altar. As the priest holds up the host, it superimposes Christ on her lap at the pita, falling off on the altar. Like he's slipping down on the altar. And the reason she's bigger is because of the perspective of the priest being below so that it's all in scale. But the whole yes. point of it is, is when the priest is saying mass ad orientum with the, with the pieta right there, is that it's the same phenomenon of of connecting the 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 sacrifice of Christ, the the body of Christ, in line with the host and with the chalice. Right. And when you think about it that way, you're like Michelangelo was a genius. Oh, he was gifted from God. Yeah. He cooperated with the grace. Yep. Yes, that's exactly right. All right. Well, that's an hour, Father. I know you got to get get back to things, but thanks for talking to us about double standards and um, just encourage everybody to pray a decade or a whole rosary for Father Altman. Make sure you're praying the rosary every day or you're not on the team. Pray that rosary. Father Altman says it. Pray the rosary every day, right, Father? Yes. Every day. day. Every day. Pray the rosary. You know what's amazing? All the cards and letters I get, almost everybody says that. 
they'll say that. And I'm praying the rosary and I'm praying for you by name. Uh, it's astounding Good. that, well, the truth is faithful. That, yep. that, yeah. So. Well, we can't say mass, Father. So we pray our rosaries. And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, you can make mass intentions for us, which is wonderful. We can't do that. Yeah. So what we do is I like to even take a whole decade. I'm like, okay, this decade, either four priests or I'll just put 10 priests or two beads for five priests. I like to kind of yeah. just load some priests onto a decade of the rosary. So I yeah. encourage everybody else to do that. Another devotion I would encourage y'all to do is when you go to confession and the priest gives you your penance, five Hail Marys, do your penance, five Hail Marys, and then double it, say another five for that priest. Yeah, Our priests beautiful. are under attack. We need, yo, we gotta we gotta build these guys up. So, um, is there anything that you wanted people to look at? You have a anything going on? Link anything or just the, pray um, for you? What do you, what's going on? We're, yeah, we're in process of creating uh, that website, so uh, I can uh, get back to maybe teaching. Okay, uh, choose the faith as I do. Um, not allowed to give preach anymore okay but that's different from teaching uh and um so okay, i guess as for me personally that hopefully well i'm just i'm trying to get the parents moved and me moved and that's just sure. been kind of a consuming thing just even to try to get a house to, to move to in the first place um so so hopefully soon uh and somehow i i tend to <laughs> i like even on this show right so people are going to see this and uh and or, or watching even as we speak, and word will soon get out where I, that, that find me. Like I'm so special, but I, I would like to think it's not me that's special. It's the truth I speak that's so special, and that's why people listen to me in the first place. Which, by the way, is something the bishops don't seem to get. Like, why are they listening to me at all? Why aren't they listening to you? Right. Well, maybe you should look at that and say, well, you got to up your game. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who listen? I'm just one out of 37,500 priests in this United States. Right. Why is anybody listening to me? It's, it's not because I'm so good. It's because they're so bad. You know, oh, gosh. They, they hate it when I say stuff like that. But it's true. Um, so I guess I guess uh, I'm gr I'm grateful to God uh, for the privilege of being a guest on your on your podcast and the sharing the truths of the faith, uh, your own witness of faith. Uh, inspires me to persevere through these difficult days because they kind of are difficult. Yeah. Uh, so I thank you for for all that you do in spreading the truth of the faith out there, uh, and and having the privilege of of sitting down across the dinner table with you. I I can't, by what miracle do I have that privilege? I, yeah. I thank you, uh, for all that you do. And uh, and if if something does happen, well, you'll probably put out a little. Right. Yeah, for sure. In your day. Father Altman's already yep, yep. He's been <laughs> sent off to Borneo, uh, which right. maybe isn't a bad thing. So, yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much. And um, if you have enjoyed watching this, you know, um, just continue to pray for Father Altman. If you like this video, give it a thumbs up, share it on Facebook, Twitter, get the message out, let more and more people know about Father Altman. If you're new to this channel, please subscribe, hit the subscribe button. You can do that in the, in the bottom right corner. And um, pray the rosary every day. And Father, would you um, you want to pray Hail Mary for us and give us a blessing? Yes. All right. I will. In nomine Pachis, Epiphanius, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pronobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostre. Amen. Amen. And the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And through the intercession of Saint. Peter Casaligus, the saint with the golden tongue, the, the great one of the great preachers of, of our church's history, and through the intercession of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Father James Altman. Everybody, thanks for watching. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Amen.